Hi there. Welcome to Joe's Table Alaska, where I explore the food industry in the interior region of the state of Alaska. Interior Alaska invites all types of agricultural interests, from farming, foraging, to ranching, and encourages entrepreneurs who are engaged in sustainable growing of all produce all year long, despite the many challenges of the cold weather in our state. Food security, sustainable farming, agriculture, and growing our own food. These are important issues for us in the interior of Alaska. This is where we live. This is where we raise families and work towards self-sufficiencies. In this podcast, I speak with farmers, foragers, ranchers, butchers, and also with people who are dedicated and helping year-round with the food security for those in our community who have the need. I speak with people engaged in growing vegetables, in growing flowers, beekeeping, mushroom foraging, and many, many other endeavors. These are people who embrace agriculture to produce the most essential ingredient for us and for our livelihood, food. I bring their challenges, their journey, and their stories to you. I'm Joe, and this is Joe Stable Alaska. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Denali State Bank. As a local community bank based in Fairbanks, Alaska, Denali State Bank believes in the importance of food security, self-sufficiency, and supports the homegrown agricultural-related activities that make food available, accessible, and most importantly, improves the life of all Alaskans. Discover more at DenaliStateBank.com. I'm here today with Tom Gross. Tom is a friend. Tom is a fellow Rotarian, and he is a huge benefactor of nonprofits and others in this community. He has a a meat retail shop here, and we all like to go there, hang around and drool uh, because it is so wonderful. But so glad that you're here, Tom, to share your background, your story with all of my listeners and and get it out there. So who is Tom Gross? Tell us. Well, first of all, Joe, it's my pleasure. Tom Gross. I'm the second youngest child of a family of seven children, Italian descent family, raised in Minot, North Dakota, of all places. I was born in Lincoln, Nebraska, but I was raised in Minot, North Dakota until the age of 22. Um, my father was Air Force. My mother raised children. She did it well, and they were, they were a, an awesome team together. She called the shots, and he took care of all <laughs> the stuff. He was wonderful. Both of them were absolutely fantastic. Did very well. I loved high school. I loved education. I loved learning things. To this day, I love learning. Did really well in school. I was uh, somewhat of an athlete. I wrestled and played football in high school. Wrestled a little bit of freestyle in college. Ended up going to school at Minot State College. That didn't go as good as I thought. Uh, two and a half years of that, and I was on academic probation and got thrown out of school. Too much partying? Too much partying, chasing girls, not catching girls, but chasing them anyway. And, uh, <laughs> And ended up getting 
put on, they threw me out. So I ended up going through the emergency med tech program there in Minot, North Dakota, through St. Joseph's Hospital. Of the 36 students that were selected out of more than 100, I was the only one, crazy as it sounds, I was the only one that passed both the written and practical exam on the first time. So I had aspirations of going on with a, with a, a work effort there in the emergency medicine program while trying to gain residency in California so I could go to that school. It was a free tuition state. Turns out a friend approached me who had just gotten back from Germany. He said, have you considered the military? Well, he owed me money from a long time ago, so I actually was interested enough to sit down with him so I could <laughs> at least collect my money. And it uh, turns out they had a program going in the United States Army called the, it was the new GI, the Army College Fund, mm-hmm. where they were taking on two, three, and four-year enlistments, uh, substantial college revenue bonus. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. That, would, yeah. that was the incentive to get people into the military. So I went into the United States Army in 1986, reported to Fort Leonard, Missouri. Did you sign up for four years? It was a three-year. Three-year. Three-year enlist, yep. And was stationed at Fort Wainwright in Alaska, right here on the outskirts of Fairbanks. Three of the best years of my life. I mean, it was a fantastic And this was your first time in Alaska. First time. And that's an interesting thing, too, Joe. As we were in Alaska airspace, getting ready to land in in Anchorage, it was September, late September, and the leaves were turning colors, and the snow on top of the mountains, and the water down below, and the mountains. Being a hayseed from North Dakota, I knew that this is where I wanted to be. Something special and spectacular. Far bigger than all of us. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. grandeur of this great state yeah. was upon yeah. me, and that I knew that I, this was home. Yeah. I hadn't even stepped on the ground. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I uh, was in the military, did really well in the military. By the way, I did really well in school. My folks raised us so incredibly well that I think I've done well in life. I mean, as a, as a kid, I mean, Such a great compliment to yeah. your parents. I was an Eagle Scout back then. It was really tough. I know it's tough now. Because at that age, young guys are it's work and girls and sports and everything else. But then you have this commitment, the Boy Scouts of America. We had an we had incredible leadership teaching us to camp and trap, hunt, all of the things, how to be a decent human being. It was a big deal. I was our homecoming king in my <laughs> high school. I was uh, not the class president, but the cl- one of the class representatives. There were yeah. four of them. And you're nominated and selected by your peers, and I'm, and I got along with everybody. Again, the thing with the emergency med tech thing, I don't know how that worked out, but 36 went in, 28 of us finished, and I was the only one to pass. That's a pretty special thing. It is. I mean, considering how much effort those other students would have put in there, too, and to come out with only, I mean, it's it's worse than law school, yeah. right? Yeah, they get to take it again, but they have to chase it. Yeah, you were a smarty. Or they say even a blind hog gets an acorn <laughs> once in a while. So. But then even in basic training, and the only reason that you asked who was Tom Rose, and I were seven kids, and we didn't hunt for the fun of it. We weren't fishing for the fun of it. It was a protein. For the table. It was for the table, for our mm-hmm. home. And we ate all the things, and it was a very, very, I don't want to say sacred, but it was a very somber act to whatever it was, whether it was birds or small or deer, in that case, venison. We very, very, very carefully prepared, cleaned up, and it obviously made a mark in my heart and my life because um, that's what I'm doing again. It's weird how it came full circle. Anyways, like back to it, though, is uh, like in basic training. So I was, um, what do they call it, a platoon guide. I was our platoon guide in basic training. Mm -hmm. In my advanced training, I was class leader. Went, got to my unit. I was driver of the month, driver of the month, driver of the month. Then they selected me through a a battalion-level soldier of the month board. I was our... Soldier of the Month for the 6th Supply and Transport Battalion and ended up getting pulled out of Delta Company, which was a transportation company, and got set to headquarters 
I was then appointed as driver for the battalion command. And I drove for two of them, because when they did the, the change of command, did my enlistment, the tail end of my, well, 18 months of a three-year enlistment, all as a driver for upper echelon field grade officers. It was wonderful. Had a great time. But just before I got out of the service, I started a land clearing company. But what got you to do that? What was your thought process and why land clearing? Okay, so the thought process is, is I didn't want to leave Alaska. <laughs> you know, I, I knew this is where I wanted to be, but what was I going to do? What was I trained to do? I was trained as an emergency medic, but I was a driver in the military. I was willing to work. I had half of an education. I got this pocket of education money that the military said they'd give me, but I hadn't seen anything yet, so you never really know if that's going to happen. Sure, sure. I was with another friend sitting in a bar in North Pole, Alaska, and there were a couple of wiremen that were doing telephone work out in front of Ileson Air Force Base, and they were down in the ditch. And one of them was saying to the other guy, man, I think it's ridiculous that we're out here cutting trees and brush down. He goes, I'm a trained journeyman wireman, and I'm cutting trees. Were they doing it by hand? They're doing it by hand. Oh. And, in, you know, back in Montana, they have contractors, he said, that cleans that stuff up. And I looked over there, and TJ had an uncle that was working for telephone utilities in the north i just had an idea we should just at least see what it what it is see if that's a possibility so we went over and talked to dave and dave said yeah there's just it's tough finding people that do that kind of work it's a specialty it's a niche it's specialty work it's hard work. i go well, what's it take and he says a chainsaw and a pickup well i said i think i can scare that up right <laughs> with that said in 1988 i got a chainsaw and a pickup truck, <laughs> and um, went over and talked to him. And it turns out you need more. So you need a certificate of insurance. You need to you need to understand things, some a little bit about payroll taxes and payroll and, and all of those things. Next thing you know, uh, we got our first contract. And you were partners with your with friend TJ. TJ. So we we called it TJ's Clear. Oh. We called it TJ's Clearing and Contracting. Well, it turns out we weren't contracting, <laughs> and we ended up in court over that. Two young guys didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> And it was semantics. And the judge threw it out. But we ended up in court over the deal because we stepped on somebody's toes in uh, Sterling with with the telephone company, another project. So you got rid of the contracting. So contracting went out. So it was just TJ's clearing. Okay. Okay. But it was Thomas James and Thomas John. So So that TJ lasted three months. And then he says, I'm not working this hard. He still had 18 months to do in the Army. And so he was going to, he said, I'm done. I'm not working after work doing this hard work. Yeah. So he left. Actually, we made him an offer he couldn't refuse. So we we actually bought him. Before I left North Dakota to come into the Army, I was dating a a, a young lady, and her father and I were dear friends. And he was in business. I mean, he had a trucking brokerage in Minot, North Dakota. He had a couple of other things. I think he owned a bar. Very intelligent. Had been to business college. Best man in my wedding, Jerome Boucher. But he was old enough to be my father. Anyway, sharp enough, he always wanted to see Alaska, so he came up. So he saw what was going on. And we all three sat down at the table. We were living in a cabin with grass on the roof. <laughs> and, uh, and we had the conversation. TJ, you got 18 months left in the military. We're going to buy you up. You're no longer part of TJ's clear. Now it's in his name is Jerome Boucher. We call him Jerry. So it was Tom and Jerry. So TJ still worked. We kept it right the way it was. But now TJ Lefebvre was out. Jerome Boucher was in. And, uh, and we went forward with that. For nine years, Jerry and I were business partners. We had gotten into logging. We did a bunch of clearing. So he actually then came up here. Well, he, he came up here to help while TJ and I still owned it. Yeah. And we, he was all part of the conversation when we got that first contract. Yeah. He was a lifesaver. He taught me a lot about business. I knew a little bit about hard work. I didn't know much about business. Right? I was brought to understand a lot of those <laughs> things and, and 
he was the perfect guy to teach me through those beginning stages. At any rate, yeah, the company took off. We uh, ended up with uh, some consistent, solid contract opportunities with, with public utilities and things like that. And it just took a lot of hard work. It was just late. But as we were doing that, the company didn't just jump out of the ground like a whirling dervish. You know, it, it's tough going. And so it would slow down big time in the wintertime. And that's when Jerry approached me and said, you know, you've got this college book. You should probably take advantage of that and clean up that college education that messed up the, the first go around. So I did. In the spring of 92, I started that spring semester at the University of Alaska Fairbanks and got a degree in biology. I graduated on, on May 7th, 1994, with an emphasis in marine science from the University of Alaska Fairbanks. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. So I checked that out. Well, <clears throat> but the business was still going? Still going. You would okay. handle that. I would work holidays. I'd work weekends. Okay. Oh, you'll work. I was working. Yeah. And I, was, and I went after that education. Managed to graduate with a 3.165 GPA. I was... Stoked with that. I was yeah. Stoked with that. More importantly, I got one of the most incredible educations. <laughs> the world got a lot bigger and a lot more complicated, right? And uh, but uh, one of the other things he did is he introduced me to his his wife was a voice instructor. And they were, the Fairbanks Summer Arts Festival was bringing a guest artist up, Dr. Byron McGilvery. Uh-huh. And he's a, a voice instructor, a conductor, has conducted over a thousand major works all over the world. Very well known. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. very well known. But anyways, he was coming into a to do a vocal workshop as part of the Fairbanks Summer Arts Festival, and it was the winter session. So he was up there, it was 30 degrees below. And so I went in there and I sang, and wasn't prepared to sing. There was wood chips falling out of my bib overalls all over the floor, and, <laughs> and I asked if I brought music. I didn't know how to read music. I didn't know anything about it. But anyways, I stood there, and they made me sing, so I sang for them. I sang a country and western song by Garth Brooks called I'm Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old. <laughs> and they applauded wildly, and they talked about it, and uh, he turned and looked at me, and I thought he was full of beans because he said that that's a very rare quality in your voice. He took me over to the piano and, we, and played scales and just said, make the sound. As you get higher, it's going to be uncomfortable, but I just want to hear you make the sound on that pitch. And so I was singing very high. So he turned and told all of them that the voice was as rare as hen's teeth. And I'm thinking, he tells everybody that. (laughs) Well, as it turned out, four years later, I sang an event in Texas. I went down to study with him, and he had me prepare three pieces for an event. Velma Burnett was my accompanist that he had picked up down there in Texas. It was in Dallas. And so I brought my music down. She had already prepared it. We worked just a little bit that morning and sang for them and uh, they applauded wildly and they stood up and I had an encore prepared and they'd never sat down. I saw Maestro McGilvray in the back waving, come on. So I just walked up, they stood and clapped while I walked out of there and I thought, well, maybe I am singing. <laughs> and I've had the privilege and honor of singing all over the world, singing for some incredible people. Well, we'll definitely not end our conversation without you having a little moment of singing, you know, and share that with our audience. But let's, let's go back. I mean, you're, you're doing all of these different things and the business is still going. And how many years did you do that? 32 years. 32 years. 32. And it was you and another person, but then I'm assuming you expanded, right? So yes, Joe was still going, but my business partner had had enough and he wanted to start a song. And so we split the sheets on April 14, 1997, and he started his sawmill, J&H Enterprises, and I continued on. It was no longer TJ's Clearing. No, it was TJ's Land Clearing. Oh, okay. And when the onus falls upon you and only you, it's different when you have a partner. Yep. You rely on them to do things, and sometimes 
you don't do things because you know they will, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. There's things you don't like to do, and they'll do it. And there's different skill sets. Yeah, and you'll do things that they don't like to yeah. do. But at any rate, once it's all on you, all of a sudden, you're going to do it. And you hit it with a different energy, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what happened. We ended up picking up a couple of bigger contracts right away in 1998. Picked up a couple of big contracts down south in the valley. Things started picking up there. And then a major project came up right here in Fairbanks. It was the Northern Intertie Project. Highly political because it was going across some fairly sensitive land. Yes. And so it uh, there were a lot of people that, that thought this shouldn't happen, but that whoever designed it with non-spectral wire and the, and the towers were painted, you, could, you can't see it. You have to look for it to see it from any vantage. Yeah. I mean, it is an amazing feat and an amazing architectural design and highly needed in this area. We were at the end of an extension course. And were you the only company that was contracted to do this work? So we were the major company. It's 105 miles long, 150 feet wide. Another company came in, they got six miles of it. And then another company came in, and they got 17 miles of okay. it. Okay. We did the rest of it. Okay. We did the lion's share of it. And we started it, and we finished it. So you had to hire people. I had 27 men. All I needed, well, it was kind of funny. Everybody says, so what's it like? And I go, well... It's helicopters, chainsaws, and men under the age of 25. <laughs> that go back to yeah. Work. yeah, and it's hard work. Incredibly hard work and dangerous. Yeah. We had zero hours of time lost to injury. Well but managed. wanted to have been part of it. And that kind of changed things for us. That actually, it puts some money in the bank is what mm -hmm. it did. Because you've got a lot going on. We were coached by some of the people on staff there. This this is what this should cost. And we knew what, I knew what I had to have. But I mean, this this was a whole other world. I have a tendency of giving things away. They say, no, you need to charge for that. Yep. No, you yep. need to charge. So anyways, we put some money away. And that changed everything. We went from a hand clearing operation, which that's the environmental aspect of it. Didn't want any equipment out there, any machinery out. So we had to cut all of that by hand. Yeah, that's a lot it, of a work. huge feat. Yeah. Huge. 105 miles. Yes, 150 people crossing streams in all different kinds of weather. It, at any rate, uh, so that changed everything. Then we got into the mechanical side of things. So we had help from the Bryce family. They were getting done in the land clearing business. They were going in another direction. And so we got $65,000 worth of projects that they had committed to. So we finished those for them and went on. We all bought all brand new gear. And took off. And so now here we are. That was right around 2003. Then in 2005, I had a machine burned to the ground and kind of jogged my confidence a little bit and didn't know what I wanted to do. In 2008, I thought I wanted to sell the TJ's Land Clearing. Now it's TJ's Land Clearing Incorporated, by the way. So that was another change. And we thought I, I thought I had it sold. And then the, the negotiations had fallen through on paperwork technicality on the other side of the table. And so I recommitted myself. If we're going to do it, let's do it. And so we continued on until, what was it, 19 or 2019. Just before the pandemic, I laid all the guys off. We were, it was a big company. I mean, we had projects all over the state of Alaska. It was a, a large company. It's a small company, but I mean, it was one, it's probably the second largest land clearing company in Alaska. Yeah. yeah. And well respected. My employees were outstanding, very professional, hardworking, reliable. So in 2019, you shut down? Laid everybody off. I had enough. Did you sell it to somebody else? Not at that time. Okay. Not at that time. But I had had enough. And I had kind of turned, the last four years, I had turned all of those day-to-day -day 
things pretty much over to a couple of guys that work for me. And a lot of the bidding was done in like um, a lot of the, all of the work chasing employees down and stuff. And when you, if you take your hand off the steering wheel, you know, and just let it fly by autopilot, it's tough for them to look and put all their heart into it if you don't seem like you're not showing into it. Absolutely. And there's no way that nobody tells you how to start a business and nobody tells you how to end a business. I think after you've done it a few times, you may you learn what you should have done and what you shouldn't have done. But I mean, there's there's no out there. So how do you stop? So what I did was, is I just told the guys before the Thanksgiving break, we all hugged it out. It was a big deal, right? Of course. Those guys were broken hearted that I would have hung on so long to a lot of money, my personal money. Um, Very successful business, but how do you wrap it up? So once we closed the doors on that thing, now I have the building, so we have another corporation that's kind of making ends meet, but no one's getting rich, right? They still have debt, quite a bit of debt. From the other company. So it's everything I'm hanging on, tooth and nail, going to work every morning at 6 30, and you're trying to sell the company. Turns out, Joe, you're not selling a company, you're selling assets. Yeah. Selling. yeah. But nothing stops. You know, it felt like the world was stopping, but I couldn't stop. It's kind of interesting because all along, this cutting meat was bubbling in the back of my mind, um, all the way back to when I was a kid helping dad in the garage, turn the crank on running. And then we'll fast forward to when I was in the military and I killed my first caribou. I was living in the barracks, and I took it to the butcher, and somebody had brought in a bison that had been, they call it bone sour. There's a technical term for it, I'm sure. The animal, they didn't get the hide off in time, and it soured the bone deep in the hump and in those shoulders. And the smell is something you will never forget. You'll recognize it immediately. It's not pleasant. But anyways, my caribou was hanging in that same locker with that animal, and it tainted the meat. So the gentleman that was processing my caribou said, we've got a problem here. He explained to me the situation, and I told him, I don't, he was going to replace it with a half a beef. I go, what I want, I don't have room for a half a beef in the barracks. What I want is I want to learn how to cut meat. Yeah. I want to come and help you. Because well, when we cut your half a beef, I'm going to learn to cut meat. I'm going to show up. I'm going to trade my my labor for education. How's that? He agreed to it. We became dear friends. And uh, Steve Howard taught me to cut And wouldn't let me touch a knife until I learned how to wrap Okay, so once you learn how to wrap meat, you have to learn all the cuts. And he hands you a cut of meat. You can't ask all the time, well, what's this? Well, what's this? Well, what's this? And you yeah. know what these cuts are. You have to pay attention. Eventually, I learned how to cut meat and stand there for hours and hours and hours. And I have a tremendous respect for the animals. Well, I've been in the shop and looking at everything that you have there. And I have kind of lifted my eyeballs and see what Tom's doing back there. You are an artist. You you do it with such dedicated attention. You're, you're not being disturbed. You, you cannot look right and left, and you're just focused on what you're doing, is what my observation was. And and I think that's commendable. It's, it's, you're not doing it just because you're processing. You're doing it with attention to detail. And could I even say love? For what you're doing, Absolutely. because it, it shows it shows in, in in how you handle that aspect of your business. Absolutely, that, yeah, love passion. The uh, I've had the privilege of seeing the animals that we're actually we're working, we're working with certified Angus beef, yeah. and the average herd size is forty head. And these animals, the way I tell everybody, they've only had one bad day. Treated incredibly well from the time they were born until that one bad day, and then it's our charge to make sure that they are presented in that case beautiful light they were when they were walking and talking. And then I think what makes our store a little bit, well, what I think what makes our store special, really special, is the service after they've made a selection. And we help you select the steak. We ask, you know, what do you want to do? I mean, it's a whole different 
language. It's a whole different world. Yeah. And with this quality of this beef that we're selling, and we sell everything. Just in that case, we give you cooking instructions. If you need help, if you have, if you're uncomfortable at all, I mean, the name of the game is to make this the most incredible experience of your life. That's one of the things our social media group says. It's it's the most, it's the best, your best meat experience ever. Right? Yeah, and yeah. And that's what everybody says, and that's why everybody goes. And that's why when we have a high power auction, BCDC auction, people stand up and, and bid thousands of dollars because you're bringing the best meat and you're bringing your talent as a chef. So it's amazing. And, and I'm just still trying to make that leap from land clearing to do to what you're doing today. So how has that transition been for you? So if you visit with my wife, she will tell you because she was there wrapping me back and I did that for five years. So there are four or five months where you're actually the height of that. There's a special occasion where somebody will need something at a special but usually it's the, the animals are at their their prime at this time and that's when we were taking care of them. This I knew that this is what I, I would always anytime we would travel, even so if I'm singing in England or I'm singing in Spain or France or Italy or wherever, South Africa, wherever, anytime I was traveling, we'd always find ourselves in a few butcheries, see how they're doing it and watching how they're doing it and taking a look at the quality of, of the different types of animal protein they had. And Patty used to get a kick out of it. She knew that, I mean, this is who I was. This is, I tell everybody that I was a meat cutter masquerading as a land clearing contractor. <laughs> That's what I was doing, but my heart, and make no mistake, I have a full butcher shop at my house, yeah. down in our garage, all of professional equipment, and I would take care of my moose and my friend's moose and bison or whatever these guys would bring in, we'd take care of it. We had rules. They had to be there. They had to help out, and if they weren't, if they were more in the way than not, then they had to at least sit there, and they had to bring the beverages. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but it was, uh, the, there was no major leap. The, 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 the transition from land clearing to retail, the retail meat market, this thing was designed in my head and was building design in my head for years. Anybody that knows me, I would, I would talk to them and I would, you know, I would be daydreaming about, you know, and I, one day when I opened my own place, or, you know, if you ever did the art, and sometimes you really can't see it happening. I mean, you're right in the middle of this thing. And you're sitting in these meetings with all these other contractors and you're thinking, I just want to go to a place and have a nice steak. <laughs> I want to just go get a nice steak, you know. And it's a struggle. And I don't care where you are. We just spent time in Seattle. And it's a challenge. Yeah. It is a challenge. We went to several retail meat markets, you know, where we feature, you know, come on in and take a look. Yeah. And we, I don't have to do the hand swish. I don't have to, you know, sidestep. I can explain to you exactly what's going on with this. Like I said, I mean, I'm going to this this beef bash in Las Vegas here in two days. I'm heading down, and I'm going to meet the ranchers. I get to meet other retail meat market people. I get to meet the producers. I mean, all of them, stem to stern. But what I love about it is giving the people of Fairbanks or the people of Alaska a chance at the best beef in the United States. Yeah. The best pork in the United States. The best sausages, and we're competing now at the on the national level with cured product that reindeer cotto salami took grand national champion awesome what is that it's crazy two years we've been open you know yeah yeah so when you opened your your place um 
which the location is 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 wonderful you know the you know the the building is is nice and i'm been there a few times so i get the feeling that you're kind of needing more space you need more elbow room there because you're bringing so many things there it isn't just about meat it's all these other products and you have a vision you want to take it somewhere else you know not just what you're doing today is that building something you own and can you get more space so yes as a matter of fact so patty and i do own the building yeah so the space we're currently in is four thousand square feet and that that is the plant the retail area and then our um, inventory area yes and offices yes well the, the building is broken into three units the front unit or suite a is that is the brewery the yes Street brewing company Yes. Or Sweet B was Axiom Army. Yes. Okay. Yes. They are no longer in there. Ah. So Tommy G's Meat and Sausage took over Sweet B. B. So we have Sweet C and Sweet B. What was the square footage for that? It's 3,000. Oh. So it's almost doubling. Almost doubling. It. But we just put in a new freezer to the north of the building, which is 16 by 24 feet big. It's mm-hmm. given us tremendous opportunity there because now we can buy differently certain products. All of our beef comes in fresh, but there are certain cuts that don't. Yeah. Um, pork comes in frozen, chicken comes in frozen, those type of things. Lamb and veal, both of those come in frozen. Uh, all the ancillary, all of those things come in frozen. So we've got a place to put those that we can buy and get better pricing. Sure. We can buy with some volume. Yeah. And then that gives us opportunity to do other things. We can make commitments to other customers on larger scale. Yeah. How do you divide your sales? Do you have commercial consumers or is it just folks like myself and others so the business model is i want people to come into the store yeah. i want them to come in and allow us to take care of you it's not just sell you meat or sell you pasta and olive oil and smoked chicken i want us to be able to take care of you i want you to feel like this is your butchery this is your retail meat shop it is yours we're there to work we're there to help we want to give you an opportunity it's expensive because the best is expensive so it's not someplace you shop every single day but i mean it's for holidays and special occasions sure and when i say special occasions birthdays anniversaries date night homecomings promotions you yeah. know just yeah. those and in, in fairbanks we have so few beautiful weekends that, that every one of those is a celebration you yeah. Know, you, yeah you know you take advantage of them while you can right and then in the wintertime, it's that bright spot that you create in your own home with the love and commitment and trust from the butchery, as well as with the love and warmth of the community in your own home. Yeah, you create yeah your exactly, exactly. And then all of a sudden, that is a special night. Yeah, and, yeah. and you weren't even trying to make it a special night, but you've got this beautiful cut of meat that is going to be celebrated. They'll remember it forever. Well, we're, we're your perfect clients because Steve is attracted to all the wonderful meats that you have. <laughs> And I'm attracted to everything else, you know, the pasta, the olive oil, and you know, the artichokes and the marinated peppers. It is like, for me, it's like a candy shop. I, I don't think of it as a meat shop. I think of it, oh, I need something special, whether it's orzo or marinated, you know, artichokes or bell peppers. I'm like, oh, Tom's going to have it. It's remarkable that the combination of what you have put together has worked so well. And the products are, are amazing.
you know. So I really like what you're doing. I'm also interested in, you know, kind of knowing from the outside looking in, it seems like, you know, bam, here's a new place and it's off and running and it's so successful. Is that how it was? Or is there lots of challenges or were there problems in this whole? The problems are inherent. As far as we didn't have the doors open and we were selling, we have the one cut that we could get was this bone in and we cut it. There's seven ribs and we cut seven cowboy ribeyes. You know, you trim the lip off that bone down there at the bottom, and they're kind of a neat-looking steak. And they're all a little bit different because you have to cut between that rib bone and then that, that transverse process, right? So you make these cuts, and they're just gorgeous. But we didn't even have the doors open. We didn't have a case to put them in. So we were selling them out of the cooler. <laughs> we would bring people back. It was a very almost majestic coming back into the cooler. Yeah. <laughs> and they would look at these gorgeous cuts of meat on white trays with black paper underneath them, and it it was a neat thing. Um, I learned a lot putting this thing together, and I had the help of a lot of people. Number one, there was one person specifically. Well, I had the support of my dear wife, Patty. Sure. You know, that was rock solid. She, she, she told me one time, she says, we've been poor before, and we loved each other then. <laughs> you know, we just fine no matter what. That's a partnership. But, you know, yeah. You need to do this. Yeah. I, I, and she was so excited. I've got a letter that I saved from. She wrote me a letter telling me how, how incredibly happy and grateful she was. Almost makes me cry thinking about that I finally was going after something again with an energy and, a, yeah. and just a passion. for. And she knows it's not, this isn't for me. This isn't for me. If you've been to the store, it's about you. you know, it's about the customers that come yeah. in. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, John Froll, Jamie Stewart, Sarah Garrison, these people that have thrown in and given their art, they're all teal bells. I mean, she was from the very beginning helping me put that logo together. Nothing is done by yourself. And you have exactly. to allow yourself. Because we were asset rich and cash poor. But I needed to get that equipment rolling. When you asked, yeah, just jumped out of the ground. We started, so we cut the floor out of the building in March of 2021. And I had already ordered everything, right? And it's coming to that warehouse. And this whole semi-load full of stuff. All of our seasonings, all of our baggages, packages, everything that all of our, you know, sheep gut, hog gut, everything that it takes to run a butcher shop. All of our, the, the equipment, the merchandisers, everything's going into that truck, that trailer. And then I had a driver, and we drove down. They drove down fast, showed up, and we've got construction going. But in order to get those big pieces of equipment going, and, you know, I mean, we were in not quite, for all right, rights and purposes, you burn up a billion dollars. Yeah. And I'm, I already had the albatross around my neck, because when I sold all my assets, I still owed a big piece of change, right? So you're still doing that. You're dealing with that. Now you're dealing with this whole new influx of money. I said, I need down payment. He says, I'm giving Jenny a call, and it was taken care of. It was taken care of. We're talking about a friend that went to college. Now he has rights by office. He can, we have an office. He has his <laughs> office. Next to me. Whatever Freddie wants from now and forever. Well, sure. And yeah. Take care of yeah. He, was, he was so gracious. But the transition, yeah, there were some headaches. And I said, I wanted to open. Remember, March is when we cut the floor out. April, May, Memorial Day is when I wanted to open the doors. That's a little ambitious. It is, yeah. You know, and we're still waiting for stuff. Coolers, everything to come in. And they're pouring concrete in two weeks or, and on and on. And we got that, you know, they got to set up all the plumbing and stuff for the drains in this new building, part of the building. I mean, so when did you open? So we tried on Memorial tried Day. On Memorial Day, we wanted to open on Memorial Day. All of a sudden, that wasn't going to happen. You know, it's all in the, the vision that I put in my head. But the words that he said, that he shared that moment there, and he was just standing there looking around, 
it'll open when it opens and it'll be great. It lifted a burden. He, he was Absolutely. Right. I picked that date. That date didn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. We wanted to take advantage of it, and for the people of Fairbanks, we wanted them to have that opportunity for Memorial Day. Something special for the first of summer. Yeah. So we ended up opening on the 4th of July. Oh, good day. And we, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that's our anniversary. That's when we started. What I did not expect, because I didn't, I don't know that I underestimated. I don't know what I thought. I know that I like to eat well, and it's obvious. I mean, look at the way I'm shaped, right? But I had no idea. I think if people trust what you're selling. And so, I mean, I have to tip my hat to the ranchers. I have to tip my hat to the people at Certified Angus Beef who have been so attentive. You know, and the people that are doing the shipping and handling. What's the new aspect of your retail business? You you had mentioned a while ago when we were chatting about having the pop-up bakery. Are you thinking about a bakery? We are. So, okay. here, so here's what's going on now. So we acquired that 3,000 square feet back. So what we're doing is we're going to move all of the inventory out of, out of that roughly 1,500 square feet. So that's all going to come out of there, and we're going to put it over there. That thing's going to get built in. There's going to be a gorgeous stained glass window in the south face of that nice. building. There'll be gorgeous windows around the front and continuing around the side. We're going to put a coffee nook back there in the corner, so we'll sell some of this wonderful Italian coffee. And we're going to work with Daylene to get things in from Cottage Bakery, and so we'll sell, sell sweets as well as the stuff that we have. We get in crostinis, nice stuff. Then I'm also going to sell some cookware, some high-end cast iron, some high-end Dutch ovens, something, you know, I mean, they're good stuff. Yeah. And that's what we want. We want to bring in the very best of everything. We'll probably bring in a few cookbooks. Who knows? Maybe I'll put one in. Maybe we'll put yours in. Well, (laughs) I appreciate that. I didn't know I was writing one, but maybe I should get on it, you know. So, Tom, when would this all happen? But I dare say within the next, I would say, 15 to 18 months, that space on that other side is going to be you know, welcoming yeah. to the public. I mean, like, it's going, to be, it's going to become something. Well, I look forward to that because it's evident that Fairbanks, Alaska, has changed since I arrived here in 1975. And really it has changed in a very positive way, I would say, in the last five, eight years and all these new things are happening, the distilleries, the breweries, your shop, the coffee places. It's just really nice to see all of that. When small business thrives, our economy thrives, you yes. know, and, and we want to make sure that we pay attention to encouragement of small businesses to provide new experiences to the residents of this wonderful town. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear all of your plans. And you know, since you do know me, very well. We have kind of talked food a lot. And that my project is so much about supporting the interior Alaska farmers and growers and producers and artisans. How do you feel that you are helping that effort in interior Alaska? So I think the biggest push that we, from the very beginning, um, we sourced local honey for some of our for some of our meat products. Then we introduced birch syrup as a sweet and flavor in some of our other products, which we put in a section-formed deli ham. In 2022, we took that section-formed ham to Des Moines, Iowa, and won Grand National Champion with a section-formed deli ham made with Alaskan birch syrup. I remember that. The color of the ham was gorgeous. The taste, they couldn't put their finger on it, but it was... 
yet it was that one note that made it stand out yeah yeah from everybody else's and and then with that birch syrup i think that's it i think that's what did it seriously joe i think what else could it have been right? <laughs> what else could it have been? so yeah i'll ask birch syrup but the biggest thing we're doing right now is we're working with danielle from sunnyside up farms at a delta junction and we're buying poultry from her yeah we're buying turkeys we're buying chickens and we're buying eggs from her. Yeah. And we're smoking the chickens. We're selling them fresh, but we're also selling smoked chickens. It's the most incredible chicken you'll ever eat. I mean, we smoke those chickens, and if you get a chance to taste them, you're going to write that down on a piece of paper, and you'll never forget that date. And you remember, um, we did this event together, uh, Farm to Table fundraiser for a Rotary Club, where you did exactly that. You had those smoked chickens those chickens. Really. They, <laughs> I think it blew their minds, you We're know. About yeah, and people just could not believe it. I remember people coming up to you and, you know, taking a half a chicken home. That's right. Because they just loved it so much. Um, it, it was a great event, and what you did was, was so appreciated. But I think more so, I think it's it's great that you supported a local place. With her to actually have provided all the chicken to you, it made that event more meaningful. She's raising her animal husbandry practices are bar none. No corn, no soy in the diets of these chickens. She's so diligent to every step of the process from getting her chicks ordered to the time they're here, to the time she's taking care of them. And the impact that those chickens have on the end user I mean, let's talk about To me, the big step of all of this is the quality of her chicken. Yes, absolutely. The quality of her chicken. And she's doing this in Delta Junction. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's a tough life, and she's doing it incredibly well, right? Alaskan poultry, and her turkeys are the same way. It's The turkey is exactly the same way. And we're so excited that I have somebody there that I can get fresh chicken from. Yeah. You know, and we're working together now getting... Because now the season's coming, yeah. and I've got 300 turkeys coming, right? <laughs> we're trying to figure out how we can get some frozen, some fresh, and she's willing to work with me. And that's the another thing yeah. that's incredible, yeah. and have that in your pocket. Yeah. It's also space in a cooler that we don't have the luxury of a, a huge cooler. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, and things are starting to grow too. We've, uh, and there's someone that does, a local person, that company that does microgrids. And she asked if we're going to sell those. And I believe we will. It'll probably be something in that new space, in that new retail space. Yep, that would be good. Uh, but I want, to, I want to be able to feature and sell them right. It's something that's not going to keep forever. So I mean, we've got to... What a wonderful opportunity to cook with, with fresh, fresh greens. greens. You know, it, it is. So, so, Tom, let me wrap this up. I mean, you and I can talk for hours because it's just so, it, it's a joy. To, to have a conversation with you and get to know you a little better every time we talk. But let's wrap this up. You you kind of took us there earlier in our conversation about your love for music and singing, and you have been singing all over the world. And how about like quick song for the listening audience so that we can end our conversation with that. And before you do that, I want to thank you for your time and for your friendship. You're quite welcome, Joe. Thank you. It's always wonderful to be here. Thank you. So I think I'll sing O Solo Me. It's a pop song, an Italian pop song, or 
or as you say, a Neapolitan song. The literal translation basically is through the tempest and storm of life, you are the light, people are the light. All the people that we come in touch with every day, yes. they are the light, right? And that light burns bright in everybody. At different moments, sometimes it seems a bit of a struggle, but yes. O solo mio. Che bella cosa nei giornata sole nella preghiera dopo la tempesta per l'aria fresca pareggiata festa che bella cosa nei You can find this episode on Podbean, Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. My deep gratitude to my group of supporters. You know who you are. To Andrew Heckman for writing the beautiful music for this podcast. And to the folks at Denali State Bank. Their commitment to local enterprise, community, and to supporting the emerging sustainable food growing industry is unparalleled. The success of our community is their success. I hope you join me as I continue to explore agricultural and food issue in interior Alaska. Thank you. <laughs>